Hello, and welcome to this month's edition of Autocast series of Great Women Podcasts. I'm Rachel Burgess, Executive Editor for Autocar, and I'm delighted to be joined by Frederica Keenitz from Nissan. She is Senior Vice President, Sustainability, Corporate Affairs, and Governance. For background, we've designed these podcasts to build on the groundbreaking Great Women Initiative that Autocar has been running for six years, promoting the brightest and best talent in the automotive industry. Hi, Frederica, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Rachel, nice to be with you. So firstly, can you tell us what your typical day looks like? (laughs) It's a good question. Two years ago, you probably would have got from me the answer, waking up four o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday or even Monday, getting the first plane to Spain or the UK or to Russia, spending their hours in offices, traveling again um, with, with, with late evenings. But obviously with COVID, the world has totally changed. Today, I still get up pretty early actually, but I started uh, with, with, a, with a good yoga program early in the morning, go out with my dog, have a breakfast with my family, then get upstairs to my small office, switch on the computer, and then spend uh, most of my time in front of the VCs connecting to the globe and, and talking to the, to the people uh, from, from, from my office. Obviously, the, 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 the time we spend in office now started again, was interrupted recently a little bit further. So working from home very much is now also coming, uh, coming to my life at Nissan. And how do you see that transforming in the next few months or years? Do you think there'll be a balance between the two? I, I, I truly believe. I don't think we will be going back to, um, to the traveling we used to do as we, I think we all realized while face-to-face meetings, meeting people still remains hugely important and has huge value, but it's not always necessary to, um, to, to travel to that extent. And it also had shown that, that there is a way of offering far more flexibility uh, to our employees um, to, to offer working from home or working from the office, uh, being far more responsive potentially also to the individual lives of the people um, as they need it. So I don't think we we will be going back to what we used to have um, uh, in the past. It will be far more, at least what I can see in this, far more balanced, far more flexible and being responsive to to, uh, the environments and the needs of of people. Mm, Absolutely. So can you tell us how you got to where you are? What are your key career steps so far? I, I started a very classical lawyer's career, um, qualified as a lawyer in Germany, then went uh, into an, to an international law firm uh, from Germany, um, did the typical lawyer's job in that big law firm, working long hours, um, dealing with a variety of things, but already a lot of um, was exposed to, to international clients at the time. I decided then 
or it was clear to me that I wouldn't want to do a career in a, in a law firm or not in a, a becoming a partner of a law firm. But mm-hmm. I came to a point where I needed to make my decision. What do I want to do? And I was in discussion with two colleagues from me and we decided to make basically a spin-off and to create our own law firm. And uh, so I did that and was one of my best experience, I must say, to be your own boss, running your own business, still something I, um, is very much embedded in in the way of working uh, today. And uh, after three years though, how that happens with partners, you realize where you do not necessarily go into the right direction. So I came to another point of decision, whether I uh, do it myself or whether I find new partners to do that law firm. And by that time, Nissan was my client and uh, an opportunity came in and an offer came in to join Nissan as, as the lawyer for Germany, Austria, Switzerland at the time, was quite attracted, thought, I haven't experienced that, let's try it. Was not planning to be there for so long, thought three years experience and then you move on. And here we are, I'm still with Nissan. Um, Was then offered rather quickly after three years, other opportunities with broader responsibility as the lawyer. And then it started uh, extending um, from from not only covering legal affairs, but then also took over the management of the external and government affairs activities for Nissan, and then communications was added into this, and then sustainability, and now it's covering a full range of activities from corporate risk management to governance to still government affairs, legal communication, anything that is linked to the external world, but also to the internal um, rules, if you want, and governance and approach uh, building the strategies also around this. And here we are. And so when you look back to your early roles, is there any specific lessons that stand out that you've learned, you know, the most important things, the wisdom that you have noted from it? Very early in my career as a lawyer, when I started with the, with the international law firm, um, one thing I, I learned straight away, and maybe I had also a good partner and teacher at the time, but that you should always put yourself in the shoes of your client and to be simple and talking basically the language that that person is understanding and where the interest is coming from. And that very much uh, is still the way I work today. I always try to understand where my counterpart is coming from, um, where the interests are, and to to find ways to talk the language that that my, my counterpart is is talking to make sure it's well understood and um, we get to, to, to where we want to get to. And the other hard lesson I think I learned was to be very sensitive to cultural differences. And it was my first experience was with Japanese clients um, at the time 
where we had ping pong email exchanges and I didn't understand what they wanted from me. I repeated my answers to the same questions until I was faced with a full explosion of my client and huge compliance to, to my partners about my incapabilities and uh, not being sensitive to that. And But I, I learned that speaking the same language, because we both spoken in English and it was not a, a language issue in that way, doesn't mean you understand and there are so many cultural differences of explaining a problem or um, feeling potentially uncomfortable with something or being dissatisfied with something and um, there I learned that you need to be very sensitive to the differences, the different ways of behaving, the different ways of responding and then also be very um, sensitive but also smart how you deal with that and if you're uncertain to get counsel and of other other people who may know how to deal with that so that was pretty early in my career um, but but two lessons that are still um, uh, very relevant in my um, and useful uh, in my my day-to-day -day job today yeah thank you yeah I, I definitely understand what you're saying about cultural differences um moving on to one area of your job government affairs um and within the context of of gender what is the gender mix like in government affairs and and with your answer to that why do you think it is and, and what's the impact um the mix i would say is is actually is pretty balanced Probably at the moment it's more male than females, but two years back it was more females uh, than males. So I, I would say it's 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 rather balanced, um, and and I would say what, what I pay a lot of attention to when building the teams to try to find as many diverse backgrounds, and whether it's gender or whether it's other other aspects um, to, to, to make sure you have really different perspectives, um, new angles coming into the conversation is probably also because you, you deal with pretty diverse external stakeholders and it's also gender is important to have that balanced um, uh, mix in teams. I would say as I'm covering not only um, covering a broad range of uh, countries that are hugely diverse from a cultural point of view. Uh, same importance I also put into the various backgrounds from a cultural point of view as much as I can um, into to the team structure. But so what I, I would say, um, the, the balance in the team allows um, from my experience also in the work with the team that you don't stand still and that you try to get as many perspectives on different situations, but also when building the relationship with the external world, building strategies, how to do that is important and have the, the variety of aspects reflected into that that is supported by also a diverse team. But also, um, as we all know, relations 
I also build on personal um, interactions and sometimes the chemistry is not working, it's just fact. Um, and the more diverse the team is, the more flexibility you have to build on different chemistries that you uh, would like to use and, and, and uh, take benefit of uh, when, when interacting with your stakeholders. What does diversity mean at Bentley Motors? Diversity is what brings all these different perspectives to the table, right? These experiences that we have. And when we bring them together, that's when we create the best possible solutions. If I had to sum up diversity in one word, it means pride. It's about removing barriers. Confidence. Creativity. Potential. Understanding. It means belonging. So looking more broadly at the automotive industry, I mean, what are the gender diversity diversity challenges within it? I mean, how do you address them and or how do we address them? And, and do you think we're turning a corner with it? From, I, I would say yes. I mean, I experienced now in the, in the past years, that's very much my personal experience with, with the teams I had with the with the with the people I interacted that um, I could sense it's 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 getting absolutely in the right direction with a good gender mix um, with a natural uh, kind of representation of females like males uh, in the job. Having said this, so specifically to government affairs, I I I see. A, a very good reflection, good dynamic, natural kind of representation being established. Having said this, being in the auto industry, um, it's not naturally yet the case um, because you, you are working in an industry that um, is still male dominated um, and even though the trends go into the right direction, but still a lot of work needs to be done in order to, to, to make it really equal, yeah? a, a good equal representation across uh, the industry, um, to have the females represented in, in the variety of functions and areas. Uh, so still a journey to go, good, good trend, good activities also in, in, in my company of putting a lot of focus into this from graduates to, uh, to the recruitment, to putting females into leadership programs unproportionately high in order to ensure they are um, uh, going up the ladder in, 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 in the career, but it's still not yet where, where it should be. But if I look into government affairs and my functions in in isolation, um, I think we are there, We're very much there. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see the differentiation between those, you know, the automotive industry as a whole, and then as you say, government affairs. Thinking about, I mean, role models, do you see yourself as a role model for younger women and generally people, given, you know, you're now at the top of your profession? Do you think role models are important to trainees and graduates? I think they are hugely important, and I, I also um, see me as a role model, or let me express that differently. 
I do see that I have a responsibility in, in, in where I am today to give things back and to, um, to open up conversations, to be mentor, uh, to encourage, to inspire um, uh, in order for other females, not, not necessarily to follow my track uh, because it's my very individual one, but to encourage them that there are many options of doing a career um, in, in different ways and offering my model as one model of plenty models. But yes, very much, I do think it's extremely important to have those role models. And maybe to give you an example, when I was thinking about it, who actually, or role models probably start with your parents. They are your role models. And when I was finishing school, um, I was like everyone, I guess, uh, at, the, at the big question, what do I do? Which route do I pick? Um, and becoming a lawyer was not necessarily my first choice or my first thinking. I have always been good in mathematics on the one hand, but also the, the language, the argumentation on the other hand. And my first ideas and thinking was far more going into the engineering uh, area. I was dreaming about building buildings where you have the best acoustic in the room or the best lights coming through without seeing windows and was very much on, 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 on this point. But then I was hesitant. I was thinking, oh, I don't believe I'm going to become so good that I will have these interesting jobs. Um, and then I decided to go into the lawyer's area because I'm good in argumentation, very structured in my mind, good, good in, in, in speaking and arguing. And so I decided that, and you know, my father is a lawyer. And I was wondering, is, is, has this been driven by the role model I've seen? I felt more comfortable going into this area. I mean, the interesting point is, and it's not that I'm regretting not having picked the engineering side, um, but I, I guess I haven't seen that role model um, in front of me that has encouraged me to, to take that challenge and to go into this area and to try uh, to achieve the best uh, in, in that area. But on the other hand, I'm also convinced that um, it doesn't matter which way you are pursuing, you will always come back to the, or find your ways to the area you're interested in. I'm actually working for the auto industry with a lot of engineers around me, still inspires me a lot, uh, still uh, very much thrilled by the, the way engineers work to find a problem, to, uh, to find a solution to a problem. So I'm actually there where I think I was at the start of my thinking where which which way I'm picking. But what I'm saying is role models are important. They are very influential, I think, on people's thinking. And the more role models you experience, you see on different types of careers, the better. So mentoring programs, skip level meetings, corridor chats. Um, networking, I think, are extremely important. And I see it indeed, as I said at the beginning, as a, 
as a core responsibility of me uh, to do that, um, to, to open that up. Thank you. So turning more to your day job, um, do you think we're on the right policy path right now in terms, um, at least in the UK, of 2030 and you know the carrot and stick incentives around it? In terms of ambition, direction, going full electric, yes, absolutely. Totally shared with Nissan. This is where we need to go. Um, the big question is, and I'm not saying sometimes also clarity from the government side in terms of when, when do they expect what to happen with a good kind of time frame or anticipation is always good, is always good for business and industries because then you can start planning accordingly um, your investments, which very often are investments that are um, uh, for a long period of time. Um, but with the electrification, we will go through a full transformation, not only in the industry, but from a broader sense, from a society point of view as well, the way we drive, the way we fuel the car, the way we, in the future, uh, um, with autonomous drive and all the connectivity, we, we, we uh, drive the car, that is going to change dramatically. And that goes beyond the pure auto industry. So what is essential is that there's a very clear roadmap with a, with a full engagement across the stakeholders to define the milestones, the right policies, the right investments that need to be done in order to get the consumers along with you on that journey and to, to, um, to uh, also to allow to, um, that people still can afford the car. The problem we're facing today is that uh, EVs are still more expensive than uh, ICE, even though there is a lot of work that is ongoing in the company to reach the tipping point, to do further investments into battery technology to, to get down the cost to achieve the parity, will come in a couple of years time. But until then, we are still dependent on, or consumers will be dependent on government incentives to, be, to, be, to make the right choice because this is still a big investment for a consumer uh, to buy a car. So uh, a couple of hundreds and thousand euros matter, matter a lot. Um, to find the right balance between carrot and stick penalties, uh, like also the EU does, uh, the UK government is thinking of bans to uh, penalties you need to, to pay today for not meeting um, the, the overall emissions uh, of, of your car fleet. Um, obviously, it needs to, to go in a progressive way. Um, it's, it's clear that, that you need to encourage a switch and you can't do it alone with government and they can't keep spending incentives forever, yeah? which is absolutely understandable. But it just needs to find the right balance between when is the moment um, to allow a smooth transition towards um, 
towards the end goal, uh, fully full electric cars. And so you talked about, um, you know, allowing for good planning and incentives being important, but obviously they can't last forever. So what are the key things that you're fighting for at the moment in terms of policy? I, basically, at the moment, a continuation of the incentives. Fine. We still need them. Um, then when it comes to the banning or penalties for non-EV cars, we, we need to ensure that the infrastructure is there. Charging, enough charging points, enough charging points that are working, um, charging points at the different strategic points where consumers are in houses, in buildings, um, on the street, at supermarkets, on the highway, that needs to go along with a progression to the, to the EV. So we would be able to, 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 to give full battery EVs to the consumers today, but they would struggle uh, in this regard. And also when you talk about the infrastructure, you need to make sure that the electricity, the grid is capable of, of meeting the electricity demand. So what we are actually fighting for is not specific rules um, and, and, and policies, but rather a joined up approach in helping the transition towards fully be. Yeah, that, that is the most important thing. So a clear roadmap with all the, the, the needs from in particular from an infrastructure point of view is important. In particular, as we see the tipping point of battery EVs and eyes to come sometime soon, Incentives will be less important to so the hard incentives, soft incentives, still a good measure to, to allow the, the last consumer to switch to, to electric vehicles. And then the infrastructure needs to be ready to cope with the demand. Hmm. It would be remiss not to mention Nissan's very important Sunderland plant since it's in the UK. Um, you know, it's very important for both Britain and um, your output as Nissan. Um, how do you keep a plant like that at the forefront of your discussions with government? And what are your main concerns or priorities regarding Sund the Sunderland plant? The, the, the Sunderland plant very often is called in Nissan as our jewel. Um, it has very long history in, in the UK and the Northeast, built there more than 30 years ago. It's been opened by Margaret Thatcher at the time. And over, over these years, long presence over there, a very strong relationship has always been there between Nissan and the UK government, all way long through. Um, also very reliable employee base, a very um, uh, great kind of responsibility Nissan felt in the Northeast also to the community. They started to build um, a skills foundation there. I think uh, 20,000, no, 70,000 school kids just passed through that uh, skills foundation, by the way, with a lot of focus on, a, um, on, on, uh, on girls uh, in their school to bring them closer to the manufacturing. But 
to come back. So there is a very strong um, history of Nissan in the Northeast and in the UK with a lot of pride in Nissan and in Japan in particular uh, to have that present because we always experienced a very strong partnership with the UK government and, and, and a strong support. Now, obviously, as uh, Sunderland is in a transformation like many, many other plans of Nissan across the globe, um, far bigger investments need to be done, uh, a change in the skills, um, a, a change in the, in the supply chain, um, and probably even Sunderland as it's supplying Europe um, is even at the forefront of the transformation towards other other plans of Nissan across the globe. And it's obvious that these conversations, how to best do the transformation to, to create the future of manufacturing in the UK, in the Northeast, obviously is, is an important topic for the UK government as it is for us and um, has, has been supported in, in good constructive uh, conversations and uh, support from, from the government and also led to uh, this announcement we did last summer, um, creating basically a blueprint of EV manufacturing uh, in, in, at Sunderland with a fully holistic view on how the future of EV manufacturing is looking like with EV models, uh, but not only that, with a giga battery factory close to the plant, uh, but also with fed by renewable energies, not only for Nissan, but also for the supply park we are planning to do um, uh, around, the, around the plant uh, to achieve carbon neutrality basically and, and maybe hopefully even before 2050. Um, so um, as, as this plant is hugely important for us, for the region, but also globally in particular as a lead in the transformation for electric cars, um, we, we have always um, had the the open ear of the UK government and, and a very strong support. At Nissan, our goal is zero emissions, zero fatalities, and zero inequality in our society. We believe diversity gives us strength. It drives creative solutions, original ways of thinking, and a better experience for our customers. The automotive industry has career opportunities for people of all backgrounds. Whether that's artistic expression and design, maths expertise in engineering, or storytelling in marketing and communications. If you have a talent and a desire to succeed, there's a bright future for you. After all, innovation is only truly exciting when it's for everyone. So looking forward, um, can you tell me how do you see the next 10 years shaking out within the automotive industry? I, I think the word transformation I've used now many, many times, but there's going to be a huge transformation. We talked about electrification. Uh, we will transform to fully electric vehicles uh, uh, in Europe ahead of any other region. So we will be producing uh, uh, battery vehicles um, uh, soon. Uh, um, and that requires, as said, a total transformation in um, in, in, the, in, the, in the sourcing needs, in, in the way we produce, et cetera. But it's also going to change uh, downstreams uh, because we will need to focus um, uh, a bit differently on 
a couple of other things like uh, 4R, like the recycling reuse of batteries. Uh, that's the biggest value basically in that uh, car and how, how you make it, uh, make sure that you uh, give, give that battery a second life, a third life, which is uh, also reshaping probably the activities we're doing downstreams in, in collaboration with dealers. How do we take back cars? How do we make an offer of a second life, a third life to the benefit of our, our consumers? So this is going to shake the way we are structured, we are sourcing, we are distributing. At the same time also, um, we will have the connectivity of the cars. We will soon getting deep into autonomous drive vehicles. The first kind of testings or the first features are there pro pilot um, uh, on highways where you can already give, um, uh, can, can be supported by the car to drive uh, to be more safe as well to get alerts but very soon <laughs> we'll get into the world of autonomous drive cars and you can imagine that is going to 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 significantly disrupt the way we drive the way we behave the way infrastructure is set up in cities on highways um, and, and, and what we also see, the focus on cars is, is moving more and more into the tech, the connectivity, the, the software, the artificial intelligence bit, then the hard, hard um, portion, actually, of the car. And, and that is not only a big challenge for an industry to transform into this direction, but also um, it's a huge transformation on the, on the society. So electric vehicles uh, plus autonomous drive is going to be big disruption, a big element of change in the next years. And I, I imagine the auto industry in 10 years time is not going to be the auto industry. We, we're used to it, we're cross sectors with energy and with mobility. And I also believe Having seen also the COVID situation, the situation we are currently in the auto industry with the lack of chips, um, we will need to think carefully through globalization versus deglobalization, how we source, how we use raw materials, where we source, whether we go more micro in the future than macro. Um, as the trend had been in the auto industry uh, previously. Interesting times, a lot of change will come, a lot of things to think through in order to be ready for a new world. Mm, I always say to any of my friends that aren't in the industry, and there's not really a more exciting industry to be in. Um, yeah. So finally, final question, um, how do you see the next 10 years from your personal career point of view? Interesting question. Um, if, if you would have asked me 20 years ago or 15 years ago um, how I would have seen my career, I probably wouldn't have said I would work for a car manufacturer and wouldn't only be a lawyer, but would cover communications and external affairs and sustainability. And, and, and. so um, it's difficult to say. The only thing I can say, I probably will not be able to give you a title, a role, but what I know, I will continue to be attract, attracted by things that I can, that are under transformation, that I can influence, 
that I can make a change in the way we act and respond to changes externally as we need, even if it's requiring uh, also a huge cultural change, which I also think is required to some extent. So I'm confident I will continue to be in this area and continue to drive this forward and be attracted by these type of things and hopefully uh, being able to constantly build on my experience and uh, constantly also have my learnings uh, in this regard. So no clear role, no clear title, but what I can promise you, I will continue to be in that area of disruption and change and uh, to make sure I'm going to or um, would want to influence and to, to make changes to, to, to these environments. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Frederica. And thank you also to everyone for listening. Find the rest of Autocar's Great Women series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Goodbye.